winter is coming. You're listening to the Watchers of Westeros. I am the king! A Game of Thrones podcast. When you play the Game of Thrones, you win. Or you die. Fire cannot kill a dragon. Lion doesn't concern himself with the opinions of a sheep. I've also heard the phrase, a Lannister always pays his debt. For the night is dark and full of terror. What good is power if you cannot protect the ones you love? We can avenge them. So I need to get something off my chest. I need to say this right off the top of the show, and I've been holding it in for a whole, pretty much a whole week now, as we since we saw the episode last Sunday. I got to get this off my chest, and I think I speak for everybody when I say this. Fuck you, Stannis Baratheon. She was your daughter. How did you do that, Stannis? You were the chosen one. Sorry, just need to get that out. Need to get that out. Okay, we can begin for real now. If you can't tell, you are in the right place. If you're looking for some Game of Thrones talk, this is, of course, the Watchers of Westeros. We'll be breaking down the ninth episode of Season 5 of Game of Thrones. The episode, of course, named A Dance of Dragons. Introductions are in order if you're new to the show. My name is Dominic, and joining me, as he always does, is my good friend and co-host, the award-winning... Kieran Duggan. Kieran, how are you this week? Oh, stop it, Dominic. Give me all of these accolades so early in the show. I'll tell you what, listeners, I don't pay him to do this, but I think after this I might have to start doing so if I want to keep up these lovely um, these lovely statements that are being granted to me. Very yeah, courteous you have, of you, you have Dominic. to start paying me three coppers and a silver or, or, or shillings and, and, and whatever whatever the money is you use in, in England. I don't, I don't know. Shillings? We're not living that far <laughs> in the past. We do still use contemporary money, thank you very much. Galleons, right? It's galleons. Yeah, contemporary coinage. Yeah, all right, and galleons <laughs> if you're going to use Harry Potter's. <laughs> Anyway, yes, thank you very much, Dominic, is what I was trying to say. And, of course, yourself, <laughs> after Star Wars Underworld on a red carpet not too yes. long ago. So, I mean, yes, I think I... We're, all, we're all started to move to places, and, and yet somehow we still manage to convene at least once a week to talk a little bit of Game of Thrones yes. as well, don't we? Yes, we, well, we have to this week after everything that went down in that episode. Like, how could we not? How could we not talk about burning children at the stake this was not a good For, this was not a good week to be a child in westeros or Bravos no, or, or Dorne or anywhere is awful week to be a child burned to death then they have sir Marin trant i mean fuck him too i mean seriously get, get, kill these guys oh man well we'll get into all of that we're of course talking about a dance of dragons the ninth episode of game of thrones season five let's just get into it uh, Karen, what did you think of the episode? I, well, I thought it was a very good episode, to be honest. It's very difficult to follow up on the yeah. <laughs> previous episode, which had that epic clash across the wall between the Wildlings, the Night's Watch, and the White Walkers, which was absolutely incredible. But I thought this episode actually did it quite well in terms of following up that it it wasn't necessarily the most action-packed episode but there was a lot of groundbreaking stuff which took place in this episode and we talk about uh, as the phrase you use dominic a game changer Mm. and i think there are a couple of scenes in this particular episode which can really fit into that particular phrase and i'm looking forward to discussing some of those major topics as we talk about stannis dawn Arya, and of course, Daenerys and Drogon. Drogon. Yeah. So, <laughs> Dominic, I'll, I'll throw the question back over your way. What were your initial impressions of this episode? Well, you, you're right to say it was it was very difficult for this episode to follow up the incredible, incredible episode "Hard Home," and it fell short. I I, I will say that you know, definitely not the worst episode of the season. But certainly, uh, certainly didn't quite live up to everything uh, that was set up in, in Hard Home. And I think, in a weird sort of way, 
that's kind of a good thing because hard home showed us what the real threat is, what the real wars are. And then to go from the, the night's watch and the wildlings essentially teaming up out of necessity to take on the whites and the, the white walkers and in that incredible, incredible battle massacre, really to then, you know, come back and it's, and it's a, much more political episode it's people making decisions because they think they belong on the iron throne it's like well that 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 almost doesn't matter anymore we know what the real threat is and and you kind of feel like we should be doing something about that let's focus on that instead it's still the the iron throne that people are are interested in and and, you know in that way it was it was a bit of a letdown just because you weren't dealing with the overarching threat you were getting back to it was almost business as usual which we know it's it, it's not anymore, which is and and I think that was almost unintentionally and it works in a in a weird sort of roundabout way from, from a certain point of view. Uh, I, did, I did like that. And uh, yeah, some interesting stuff in there with with Stannis and with Danny's choice there at the end and, and with Arya and stuff. The other the other criticism I have to have to make of this episode just off the bat and I, I hate to be to be negative about about it but i just have to mention this one thing is that this was the first episode of game of thrones where i I felt that the production values were a bit off um it it was there were two scenes the big climactic arena scene they it just didn't feel quite like they meshed the cgi with the um with the practical sets properly not in the sense that the cgi was unbelievable or anything it's just some of the the scenes that were CGI, the scope of them didn't quite fit in with the some of the more practical scenes with the actual sets, which I, I thought was was kind of weird. It was a little bit off putting. And then the snow in Jon Snow and uh, Sam and Ed's hair at the beginning of the episode. I've had snow in my hair like that. It doesn't look like that. <laughs> I've, I've been in a couple of uh, heavy snows myself, and it doesn't quite look like that. But that, those are purely superficial things we'll get just i just wanted to mention them get them out of the way and now we can get into the story what's really important and let's start with really the thing that everybody is talking about this week and that is the stannis shireen melisandre salis sir davos storyline from the beginning so it, it kicks off we see the uh the attack that ramsey bolton ha- d- makes on uh, on stannis's camp and really, it's like, how did that happen? Seriously, how did that happen? Ramsey, Ramsey Snow, or Ramsey Bolton, I guess we should say, who doesn't actually appear in the episode, a lot more effective at something like this than I thought he would be. You know, we, we're used to seeing him as a, you know, a torturing individual people, but for such a large-scale thing, that almost seems like something that, was, that would be out of his, uh, his area of expertise. I mean, what, what do you think? Did that seem to character for you? I'm not saying it was bad. It was actually very cool. I thought it was it was good and it was interesting and it added a new layer. But what did you think of uh, of Ramsey's attack there? And was there anything significant about the fact that he used fire to to have this attack take place when you know you have Melisandre who looks to the flame for what the Lord of Light will tell her? Hmm. Two two very interesting questions there. I think first of all, Ramsey's attack on the camp if was extremely devastating. Oh, yeah. And what surprised me was the scale of the attack. With only 20 men, he was able to cause a hell of a lot of destruction and real... uh, He really made Stannis' forces become this weak and impoverished state, um, both uh, physically... And well, I should say rather materialistically and psychologically. Materialistically, in the sense that they lost horses, they lost food, they lost mm-hmm. important resources. But also psychologically, there were a number of shots throughout that particular storyline of the soldiers looking pretty uh, disheartened and quite demoralised. They're freezing yeah. in the snow. They're queuing up for food. And they look as though hope is lost. And in a way, I think it's that scene which really 
we can, as an audience, glean the motivation behind Stannis's decision. Whether we would agree with it or not, and, and most people, of course, would say this is a horrific act, but to look at it from a character standpoint, it makes logical sense from what we've seen of Stannis's character. Mm-hmm. Yeah, if you see where I'm coming from, yeah, and, then, and secondly, then with regards to Melisandre, well, you know the significance of the fire being used. Of course, it is. It is quite poetic in a way that it was actually fire, which was used as a weapon against the true believer of the Lord of Light. Mm-hmm. You know, fire is supposed to be a help. It's supposed to facilitate Stannis becoming king, not to hamper it, and. I wonder whether there's any foreshadowing linked onto that. I think we're going to have to wait and see, really. But mm-hmm. yeah, there, that, that was. I think there was a little bit of significance that fire was used there, the fires of hell, most. <laughs> I'll throw it over to you, Dominic. What did you make of that opening scene? Yeah, I don't know if uh, if it was significant so much that it was fire, but more ironic. I think it was. It was meant to be ironic that you know, in this moment, you know, she sees these fires breaking out and fire has really been her weapon, her tool, her ally for lack of a better term when, and then she looks out and sees everything that she has fought and, and sacrificed for being burned in front of her. It's, it's a, you know, it's a cruel twist of fate. You know, it's, it's not, it's, it's a reverse of what we're used to seeing with her. So I thought it was, was ironic. And, uh, and yeah, it really this this scene really hammered home again in a in a different kind of way. The power of of Ramsay Bolton, you know, we've seen him as this demented, sadistic, horrible human being who likes to torture other people for fun and and gets all this this weird pleasure out of doing these horrible horrible things. But it's always been to individuals. We've never seen him pull off a, a stunt like this, and you really get the sense in this moment that it was. Uh, it really was huge and, uh, and and how it makes him more of a threat towards a bigger army. You know, we're used to, he's a threat to individuals for sure, but we've never seen him as a threat to an army before. And now we see that, you know, his father was always the threat. Roose Bolton was the, was the strategist, was the military leader. And uh, now we know that, well, Ramsey's got a bit of that in him, a different kind of, uh, of military, military strategist, uh, behavior but it's it's still still military strategy i guess from a again from a certain point of view uh but i mean let's talk about it the big moment the burning of princess Shireen. you know stannis sends away sir davos you know her her last remaining ally um and everybody seems to be okay with the burning of this daughter of, of his daughter of the princess of this little girl and uh, it, it takes me back to to, la- to last episode or, or two episodes ago when when Tyrion said to Danny about Jorah, you know, he's clearly devoted to you, and a leader who kills those devoted to them uh, is not worthy or doesn't you know doesn't usually get people to be devoted to them. Something he says something he says it much more eloquently than me, mm-hmm. and we kind of see that here. You know, Shireen is is, is Stannis is. She's Stannis' daughter. Like, if Stannis is willing to sacrifice his own daughter, how is he going to get the people to support him, to be devoted to him? To, you know, they'll fear him, sure, but eventually, the fear will wear off, and the people would rise up. We would think. I mean, they even did that to Joffrey to a certain extent. So basically, you know, we we obviously we know that. In, in our world, burning children at the stake is a horrible, horrible thing. But in the, in the Game of Thrones world, it's, you know, it's a horrible thing, but it is still, you know, in that world, there are zombies and giants and magic. And so, do you, simply put, is there a way that this could be the right decision? Because the way you look, the way I'm looking at it, from every point of view, it seems to be the wrong decision. Well, you can see it as the right decision from the perspective of Stannis Baratheon. And 
I think it's important to get into Stannis's mindset here. Now, two episodes ago, Melisandre brought up the fact that for in order for Stannis to succeed and conquer Winterfell, King's blood was needed. And she pointed to the fact, or alluded to the fact, it should be Shireen who gets sacrificed. Stannis was having none of it then. He's, you know, he said, get out. And he was emphatic about that. And we'd seen in episode four of this season, his true love for the child, for his child, when he wouldn't give her to the snowmen because she was his daughter. But what has changed since then? Well, that attack, as I said, materialistically and psychologically has changed the whole complexion of Stannis's campaign. Stannis no longer has the resources which will allow him to amount a successful assault on Winterfell whilst Winter is still upon them. So Davos makes the point, if Winter falls, then they might have a chance. And Stannis, therefore, is thinking to himself, one life versus the life of his whole entourage and as well, his entire ambition is at stake here. And it's his daughter. And it, obviously, he's thinking, at what cost? And I, when he goes into that tent and he has the conversation with Shireen, it's so, it's so tragic to see what happens to her character. But she unwittingly has really facilitated the decision in Stannis's mind to sacrifice her when she says, I'm willing to do anything. Yes, I'll help, I'll help. And, you know, Stannis is listening to her talking about the dance with the dragon story, and he's saying, which side would you choose? And he talks about the idea of, you know, how can I be who I am um, without fulfilling, I have to fulfill my destiny. You know, and, and he, he, the thing is, Stannis genuinely believes that he is the sort of, individual that's been passed down uh, with this task to take the Iron Throne. He's, he's blood right and he feels he has the divine God on his side. And so I think from that standing, we can understand and comprehend Stannis' actions in this scene. And even when the mother of all people, the mother, is saying to Stannis, no, don't, don't, we shouldn't do this. He says the line, it's King's blood, I have to. And he, in a way, he's seen the power of King's blood. He's seen what's happened to Rob Stark. He's seen what's happened to Joffrey Baratheon. The usurpers died. And for me, I think that's what we can, we can understand then from that reasoning why Stannis decided to go along with Melisandre and sacrifice his daughter. Hmm. Would, do you understand that? Does that I, make sense? Yeah, I, I see what you're saying. Stannis is a psycho, basically. It's it's interesting. The Stannis story has always been kind of one of those ones where he was ne- he until this season he was never somebody anybody really rooted for. He was never the person that we wanted to be on the Iron Throne until this season when he was marching on Winterfell and we had a a, a vested interest in seeing Winterfell freed. That was all of a sudden. Everyone was looking to Stannis to be a hero when everything that we've seen from the guy up until this point says that he is clearly not, he is not that hero. You know, he, he was, he, he had his own brother murdered. He was willing to kill Gendry, you know, Robert's bastard. You know, he was not Mance Raider, as well. Mance Raider too. Yeah. He was not a good guy. And as horrible as this was, it all went into his, uh, it all plays into his character that he wants to be on the throne more than anything. That is his one true goal in life. Is more so be, than his family. Yeah, more so than his family is to be on the throne. And we see just how far he's willing to go. And somebody who wants to rule just for the sake of ruling, they don't seem to, that doesn't seem to me to be the uh, kind of ruler you want. You know, there are the rulers. That seems to almost more fall into, you know, kind of a 
a ruler, someone like like Joffrey, who just wants to, who just kind of wants power and just wants to be the top, the top guy, the top do- top dog, who's just in charge of everything, and he doesn't really care who gets hurt along the way as long as he gets his power. And uh, you know, this this season they tried to they they did kind of pull the rug out from under us. They built up Stannis as this good, this seemingly good character as our our only hope for Winterfell, and he still seems to be. And uh, and then he goes and does this, and we're reminded of what kind of character he truly is. I mean, he, again, he killed Renly Baratheon. We can't forget about that. He killed his own brother. That seems that's almost as bad as as killing your own daughter. So this wasn't that much of a stretch for his character, but it was still a, although, a brutal. Although scene. I think, go ahead. Sorry to jump in there, but I think that that scene in particular was a signifier as to how far he would go. We'd seen what happened to Renly, and that was tragic, that was terrible. But this is his own daughter. This is oh, his yeah. child. I mean, siblings have rivalries, and you can but that, see most of them how don't that can tear the kingdoms apart. And that's not me excusing anything that happened there, but I'm, I'm saying from a standing, in the past, brothers have killed each other for fighting for titles and honors particularly i look at russian history in particular is quite a good case in point for that um but your own child your own daughter and to me that signified that all bets are off and and we were talking about the cost Mm. of stannis's victory well one we're never assured whether stannis is going to be victorious however if you look at the previews for next episode it's quite intriguing, quite enlightening as to what could happen um, and you know whether this actually worked. Um, and in the second point as well that I'd like to make is linked on to Shireen's death. <laughs> How are little theories kind of gone out the window? I don't think the theory has gone out the window, but uh, the, the Baratheons playing any part in it has definitely gone out the window. Yes, that's probably the best way to put it. Yeah. I'm, I see that was disappointed as well for me. Like as a yeah. character, I I thought she, um, she was smart, she was intelligent, she was kind and generous, um, and she'd befallen already a, a tragic upbringing. And and then to cap it all off, she has to suffer one of the most horrific deaths in Game of Thrones. I think yeah. being burnt alive at the stake doesn't get much worse than that. Yeah, that's uh. It's pretty bad, and, and Jon Snow wasn't around to, to put an arrow through her heart. Or Sir Davos. Or Sir Davos, yeah. Well, Sir Davos, uh, you know, you know, most of the time when Game of Thrones kills a character, they, they try to make it as surprising as possible. You know, you look at the Red Wedding or, or Ned Stark's beheading, you know, the two biggest deaths in the show, or the two biggest death scenes, I should say, uh, or even, even Tywin. You know, these – they were just – they just sort of happened – they were surprises, whereas this death was really telegraphed to the audience throughout the entire episode. Um, and and again, not that that's bad. It, it just the way they did it, it with you know Sir Davos having his little scene with her, da- Stannis sending Davos away, then Stannis having his scene with her. I mean, there were three major scenes that were all very sweet, um, nice scenes between Shireen uh, and Stannis and D- Sir Davos and and or that just kind of suggested that there's, there's, things don't necessarily look good for this character at the moment you know we're spending a lot of time with her when we haven't in the past and, and now we're and then of course she's led up to the to the stake and burned alive and what a like really what a brutal scene um and it was interesting that it was her mother was the one that broke down in that scene when you know, Celise had been the one, you know, who had constantly been apologizing for this daughter and, and seemed to have hated this daughter. And Stannis was the only one who ever showed any affection to her in that one scene earlier this season. And then in that moment, it was kind of the opposite, that Stannis stood there stone cold while she broke down. And, it, you know, again, it shows just how badly Stannis wants the throne. And it makes you wonder... At this point, is is it really uh, worth it? Also, why why did the uh, why did his entire army have to watch this? I mean, if, if you were one of Stannis's bannermen, or if I was, 
I wouldn't want to watch that. I'd be like, no, I'm staying in my tent. Thank you very much. I mean, does Melisandre need an audience for this kind of stuff to work or does she want an audience or, or, or what? I mean, it's pretty clear that she is definitely a a believer in this faith. Um, So I don't think that it's one of those things where she's trying to just get attention or or get money or anything from, from these people, but she needs this audience. It, it, It was interesting. You know, this would almost be something you would think Stannis and, and, and the other, and, and, and his wife and even perhaps even Melisandre, would want to keep quiet. Like, you know, this is the guy who killed his own daughter that again, does, doesn't really inspire devotion. I would think. I think in a way it's quite symbolic though, particularly to his army who are fighting for Stannis's cause. And I believe that Stannis would want them all there to watch this because they need to see, her being sacrificed as a way of really justifying um, his, well, really, it's supposed to, I think, showcase in the future if something is to happen which is successful, which is the falling of the ice, mm-hmm. what has caused this, and that is devotion to the Lord of Light. Yeah, and the other thing is... It's, 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 in a way, it's a form of inculcation. Yeah, and and the other thing is, too, that... Stannis's men, his army is is pretty much all already converted. They're all believers in the the Lord of Light. I, it, we got the impression from earlier seasons, at least. You know, Sir Davos's son was always trying to get trying to get Sir Davos to uh, commit to the Lord of Light, and he just never mm-hmm. would. So I definitely think that was a an interesting uh, interesting. Uh, well, maybe that's why they were all watching that because they're all already devoted and they know the importance of, of this moment. Anyway, so just a brutal scene and, and got everybody talking and, and, uh, you know, it, it was quite a, quite the way to, to, to end the first half of the episode, but let's talk about some of the other things that happened. Uh, let's see, let's, t- let's talk about what happened in, uh, and Bravos with Arya. And we see the uh, the arrival of Sir Meryn Trant along with uh, Mace, uh, Mace, uh, Mace, uh, Mace, Mace Tyrell, and uh, we see the return of Mark Gatiss as the head of the Iron Bra- Iron Bank, and uh, really the, uh, some funny scenes with the the uh, Tyrell father there with his all of his his singing and and good stuff, and of course Meryn Trant on the uh, on Arya's list of people she wants to kill, and we see her follow. Follow Marin Trant when she was supposed to kill the skinny man, the gambler, and she go when she returns to Yakinagar. She tells him, you know, the the man wasn't hungry, and she lies to him. Did Yakinagar believe her? Did Yakinagar believe her? I, I I I don't know. Did she fool him? No, no, no chance. <laughs> what, I what, what makes you so, say that? Because why would the camera then pan to his reaction shot as he continuously looked? I think he's he's too smart a guy not to realize what's going on. And to be honest, yeah, you wonder whether he set this up in the first place. Not the fact that they were going to be there, the fact that Mace Tyrell and Samarin were there, mm-hmm. but that he knew they were coming mm-hmm. and they would be landing in that sector. Right. Um, mm-hmm. Because it seems quite coincidental that of all the places to land, it would be where Jack and Hagar had sent her and he wouldn't know about it. I'm, I'm not so sure personally. And we'll find out. I hope there'll be some sort of resolution to this, um, storyline next episode. I think with regards to what's going to happen to Samara next episode, I've got a theory, which I think is quite (laughs) obvious based on what we've seen already. Oh, do you want me to tell yeah, you? Yeah, yes, let's let's hear it. As long as it's not based in spoilers, let's hear it. <laughs> well, no, it's not. So obviously we see Sir Meryn in the in the prostitute parlour and or the brothel, and he keeps saying to the owner or whoever, uh, that woman, um that these women are too old yeah. until that little I don't know how old she was, but she looked under 16 anyway. Mm-hmm. Um, that child was. And he, and he keeps looking at Arya. Now, in my 
most people are, are thinking, oh, he, he he's recognising her. Well, I don't think so. It's been about however many years, years or years since he's seen her. Plus, she's now changed her demeanour, so, or not demeanour necessarily, but her appearance. So she's not supposed to be recognised. I think he's more eyeing her up in a way. <laughs> and so what hey. I think is going to happen is that eventually she will be a, a sort of spy in the parlour in the brothel, he'll then accept her as an, some sort of offering and then she'll assassinate him um, in yeah, the I bedroom. Could, I, I could see that going down for sure. But I think an interesting uh, idea I've heard cited on top of that is that a lot of people think that could happen, but it's the method that will be used. Will Arya use the poison... Or will she go back and take needle? I I would hope that it would be needle, but uh... because obviously if she does, then that's quite symbolic yeah. of where Arya stands right now. Mm-hmm. If she uses the poison, doesn't necessarily mean she's going to become a faceless man, but it's going to be more along that trajectory. If she uses needle, that's the status of Arya Stark, not the status of a faceless man. Mm-hmm. Well, I, and that higher identity still resides. Well, I think if if she goes after goes after Marin Trent and kills him in general, I think that's a, a statement that she is still Arya and not a, a faceless man. Um, regardless of how she kills him, I would like to see her use needle, but I, I don't. I think it's more likely that she'll use the poison just because it's it's simpler. Uh, you know, sneaking needle into into that into a sequence like that would be much more difficult than just poisoning this guy. But what I'm what I'm interested in. Is um, you said, you know, you think Yakinagar knows that she was lying about the gambler. Why do you think he doesn't call her out on the lie then? Because I I would think if he knew, he would say something about it. I think he wants to see where this is going to pan out. Mm. Don't forget, he had that little conversation with the other girl who was there. Yes, um, that's a good point. And he was, I, mean, he, I think he was quietly confident, but that's that's why, to me, then it seems as though this was concocted from the start. Perhaps this is he, this is her like her, for lack of a better term, this is her test. Yeah, I was gonna say it's her Jedi trial. trial. You know, she has yeah. to she has to face something from her past, and whether or not she gives into the distraction will determine whether or not she can be a faceless man. And it seems exactly. like right now she's a. Uh, She's failing at that. And quite frankly, you don't usually say this, but we hope she fails because I think it would be much more interesting to have her running around as Arya with a bit of training from the faceless men than just another faceless man running around who happens to look like Arya Stark. But anyways, uh, let's see. Where do we want to – let's go to the wall real quick um, because there's only one scene there with Jon Snow and the Wildlings returning. And again, more foreshadowing that that Ollie kid, he's a bad dude. <laughs> he is uh he's turned, he's gone to the dark side. He's looking at John very uh unhappy with the fact that he saved those wildlings. And even Sir Alistair Thorne, it's such an interesting character because for as much of a you know, a you know, a pain in John's side that he can be he seems to be one of the few members of the Night's Watch that's still loyal to him. You know, he still opens the gate. There are a lot of we see all of the uh, all the other men of the Night's Watch are none too happy with Jon Snow, and you can I don't think Sir Alistair Thorne is is happy either. But he at least gave the order. I don't I don't know if if many of the other of the uh, other men would have. What where do you think uh, Sir Alistair's allegiances lie do you think he truly believes in the cause of of you know being a man of the night's watch and following the orders of the lord commander and all of that all of that stuff you know he he was in charge for a brief period there last season and you know he's he acknowledged to Jon snow that you know Jon snow was right when he said they should have frozen the tunnels and frozen the tunnels shut and and all that so perhaps he recognizes the fact that there is something 
about Jon Snow, that Jon Snow does understand things in a better way than most. Where do you think he stands on all this? Alistair Vaughan, he is a very complex character and it's very difficult to read exactly where his loyalties lie because in spite of him opening the gates, he then he he complains to Jon Snow and, and warns him that dangerous lurking, really, that this is a bad decision. Letting the wildlings in is going to cost them. But he still lets them in. So I, it, it, to me, it would show that his loyalty still lie with the Lord Commander mm-hmm. and the title of that rather than Jon Snow per se. Interesting. Yeah, yeah. It it seems that uh, Sir Alistair kind of believes more in the in the Night's Watch than anybody, any one person, individual. I think that's an interesting, interesting way to look at it. So it'll be interesting to see if he continues to feel that way, because he definitely was against this mission in general, and he was never a huge fan of Jon Snow. So it, it'll, it'll be interesting to see how that continues. Uh, but let's let's talk about what goes down in in Dorne, and this is the uh, <laughs> this is the first episode this season where the stuff in Dorne has actually been interesting. <laughs> I hate to say it, I hate to say it, but it was a it was a really interesting scene, and it was a, a very calm scene, a really uh, just a, a talking scene, and uh, you know Jamie comes face to face with Prince Doran Martell, and uh, Doran ma- makes it clear that he wants. To uh, keep the, the the alliance between Dorne and the Seven Kingdoms going strong, the one that you know Oberyn had and Tywin had kind of started last season, although both of them with ulterior motives, and he even drinks a toast to Tommen Baratheon, or Tommen. I don't think he actually uses his last name, which I thought was really interesting to King Tommen. Um, is is Doran just a good guy and wants to keep the peace? Or does he have an ulterior motive here too? Because you always have to wonder that on Game of Thrones. You always have to wonder, is this person actually good? Or are they being good for the sake of being good? Or are they trying to get something out of this? Well, I think he's already got something out of it. And that's the alliance with the throne. He wanted to get Tristane on the small council. And he wants to secure this coalition of powers of Dawn and the Lannisters or at least King's Landing and so there is something at stake here and as he said he doesn't want to go to war he's seen it, he recognises the costs of it and perhaps he's not even assured that the Dornish would emerge victorious mm. so I think in that standing he's looking at it and politically it makes little sense to sever the ties with the Lannisters Mm-hmm. And particularly when you look at the rebels, who at this point reside with Oberyn Martell's former spouse and the Sand Snakes. I mean, there are there are four people there. I mean, that's not a major major threat. <laughs> it can be contained. Yeah. Um, and as he's fiercely stated, um, you know, he'll allow second chances, but not third. Yes. So. I think that they're on a very tight rope. <laughs> but but I, I, I want to use a comment on this scene briefly, as well as this, as well as the scene we're talking about. But the one that intrigued me most was the one between Jamie and I forgot the woman's name now. What, um, uh, do, do you know, do you know Al- who Alaria, Martell's? Alaria Martell. Okay, there we go. Alaria Martell. So Alaria Martell and Jamie Lannister. That was a scene that intrigued me because... I'm not so sure I'd want to go along with everything that Ilario said there. Okay. I think that her motivations still remain the same. Um, I'm just curious as to see how this is going to pan out. I don't think it's going to be as simple as Marcella, Tristane, and Jamie just leaving, and Bron <laughs> as well. Yeah. Well. <laughs> but what, but what, what did you make of those what, two scenes? Of, of those two scenes, yeah. It, it's interesting that, you know, Ilaria Martel seems to almost be trying to turn 
turn Jamie not so much against his sister or against his family, but against the ideas of Westeros. You know, she's almost planting this idea in his mind that, you know, there's a different way of doing things. And perhaps this is a power play on her her part. Perhaps she's hoping that he will help. She will ask her for help to, you know, change the way things are done in Westeros, make his relationship with Cersei acceptable common knowledge, not something that they are, are living in fear about. And, you know, we, we know why based on episodes this season where, you know, Cersei's relationship with Lancel Lannister <laughs> comes out and now she's locked in the dungeon so i i think that that was an interesting scene i I think you're right not to completely trust in her uh you know we've seen in this entire season that she has been trying to kill his daughter or his niece you know whatever you want to say you know whatever whether you're going by the official story or the truth um and, and so it's it it's right to not necessarily trust her immediately or trust her implicitly. And, uh, and yeah, I think you're right about Doran. I think he's, he's looking for a bit of influence, a bit of power in, in Westeros. He wants to know what's going on. He wants to be at the very least. Um, he wants to know what's going on there in case he should have to go to war or have to, if, you know, if there's a rebellion rising, you know, what side of it he wants to be on and, and, and that kind of stuff. I think you're right. I think he's looking for, power in that but the uh absolute best part of of those scenes <laughs> were uh were when braun got punched in the face that <laughs> was a, a a brilliant scene uh where uh, you know tristane uh in his uh infinite wisdom decides you know what i'm not going to kill braun he's just going to get punched in the face because he punched me in the face and i thought that was uh was a a, a genius uh addition to uh to the show all right, let's talk about the the entire second half of the episode. It's almost almost a a different episode in and of itself. All of it taking place in Marine at the Great Games. Danny is forced to watch as uh, as fighters kill each other in an attempt to win glory. Amongst those fighters, of course, Sir Jorah Marmont, and uh, the conversations in that box that uh, Danny. And uh, Dario Naharis and Tyrion Lannister and uh, his Darzo Larak uh, in that box that they're all sitting in. The conversations was was really interesting. You know, you had uh, they were debating who would win, and really, his Darzo Larak was being ganged up on. Everybody was against that guy. <laughs> he was he was he was desperately arguing in a losing battle while Dario and and Danny were were mocking him for never having actually fought Tyrion. Saying he's right just about as much as an imbecile is right. It was he was really in a on a hostile location, uh, hostile situation. What do you think was the the point of that? Like why why was everybody being so horrible to that guy? Is it because they all disagree with him? Do they are they all sacrificing their beliefs to reopen the fighting pits? I I don't think Dario is. He seems to just to see see him as competition for Danny. Um. But Tyrion is the really the interesting one. Why why he's so against it? Um, when he you know was witness to many many a tournament. I get I gather in his day as as a as a Lannister. What what did you think of that sequence where they were all kind of ganging up on on him while the the small man fought the big man in front of them? Yeah, I, I to me I would say that. Um, is it? How do you pronounce the guy's name again? <laughs> His dark Zolarak. His dark Zolarak. Okay. Um, to me, he is representative of Marine's traditions, its mm. past, and of the Marinese culture. And what I thought was quite interesting was that the outsiders of this, Daenerys, Tyrion, and Dario. They were always, you said, ganging up on him. And yet, uh, uh, when they were talking about who was going to win in a fight, and yet... Um, he was right. <laughs> Daria, it was, it, and it, yeah, he was proven... The, the, um, I'm not even going to bother saying his name. You know who I'm talking about. <laughs> he is sadly... He, he actually was right. And to me, I thought that was quite interesting how he is knowing of the culture and how he 
was representative of Marine actually won that verbal duel in a similar way that the Sons of Harpies nearly bested them were it not, well, would have bested them all were it not for the rescue of Drogon. Mm-hmm. So I think it's more what he represents rather than the character himself because he gets killed in this episode. So <laughs> his storylines come to an end. Yeah. Well, I did quite like that line at the beginning when he comes in late and you know, go and say, oh, you know, why were you late? He says, oh, just making sure everything's in order. Mm-hmm. When I think for a brief moment, at least for me, I was like, hmm. Well, I, I had a secret leader of the Sons of Harpy. <laughs> well, I had thought, but then it turned he, out to be false. Yeah, well, I had meant to bring that up a couple of weeks ago that I thought he might very well be the leader of the Sons of Harpy, because you know they, it was pointed out to me that you know look, he convinced Danny to essentially allow slavery again, and we saw that in the fact that Jorah and Tyrion were forced to fight in these pits as slaves a couple episodes ago. So I, I thought that was it, that was a, that would have been an interesting road for the show to go down for him to have been the leader of that, but as as it turned out, he wasn't. He was stabbed to death by one of them in this episode. And, and yeah, I had that same thought when he said, "Just making sure everything is ready." Uh, well, what, what making sure what's ready there, Hisdar? So, uh, but the attack itself, um, it was a, a, another massacre. This has been the the season of massacres on Game of Thrones. Um, the, the the attack itself, they go out. The sons of the harpy. I, I really wish we knew more about them. I, I really do because it, it, right now they they feel, well, they feel like what what they are. I guess faceless villains. Like we we don't. We, I guess we we kind of know what they want, and but we don't know anything about them other than you know. Okay, they want to reinstall slavery. Everything else about them is kind of kind of vague and i would have liked to have known more about them because i think it would have made their threat seem a little bit more uh, a little bit more significant especially considering you know last week we saw the the white walkers and 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 what a threat they were again everything in this episode was done very well and had we not seen hard home i think uh it would have felt bigger and more impactful than it did it's just you know we just came off the fact that there was this incredible massive massive action sequence in the previous episode and we didn't quite get to uh to experience the uh, it this the same way and again that may have been by design uh but i, I would have liked to have known more about them and i thought the idea of, of his star zolarak being their leader would have been a, an interesting twist it would have made them seem a little bit more villainous uh, but we do see the return of, of Drogon in this episode. Um, was this just a, a a bit of luck that Drogon actually sh- showed up here, or do you think, or do you buy into the idea that there is really a connection between Danny and her dragons? Oh, absolutely, the latter part of the statement there. There is a connection <laughs> between her and the dragons. Now we see Danny close her eyes, and then Drogon appears. Now. When, when obviously they were all surrounded at that time and she was in perilous danger. I don't think necessarily when she closed her eyes she was calling to the dragons, but I think the dragons or Drogon sensed her f- maybe fear and the danger. So to me, that is quite symbolic. Why would Drogon show up then? I, it's not just coincidence. There is a strong connection and we see that bond being forged when she actually rides the dragon. Mm-hmm. This is the first time in the show we've actually seen someone ride a dragon. And now what I think is going to be more interesting to look at is two things. One, where are they going to go? Mm. And because everyone's kind of just looking up there as though they're abandoned by her. And right. secondly, what does this mean now with regards to her relationship with the other two dragons. Will that be more rivalry, competition, or is there this same bond with all of them? Because I'm not sure there is. But that, that those are two speculative conjectures that may well be answered by yourself, or you may not know the answer. <laughs> um, oh, yeah. <laughs> Just, uh, I know the I know all the answers, of course. I, I I'm actually George R. R. Martin. It's uh, <laughs> it's funny. <laughs> but 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 what did you make then of the of the Drogon scene and, and him arriving to? Oh, and him arriving to save the day. Yeah, yeah. I thought it was a uh, it was a 
well, for one, it was a great scene. It was a it was a great moment in his arrival. Uh, I think you're right. I think there definitely is a connection there. And uh, if there's a connection with the one dragon, I would expect there to be a connection with the other two dragons. And I, I, I think it's no coincidence that this one dragon is named Drogon, like Khal Drogo, or named after Khal Drogo, more, more accurately. So I, I, would, I think it's no coincidence that the one that she has the strongest connection with is is named after her former for her former husband the man who sort of set her off on this quest in a lot of ways so i i think the fact that 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 she has a connection with one dragon means that she has a connection with all the dragons it's just going to take a longer time to forge that connection and make it uh, a stronger a, a stronger bond whereas you know with drogon it's already set um but yeah, like I said, if she can form it with one, she can form it with the others, I think. And uh, Or then, perhaps, there are other characters in the show that will will form a bond with those dragons, you know? If, if Jon Snow really is the son of Rhaegar Targaryen and Lyanna Stark, then perhaps, okay, there's another Targaryen. Perhaps he could, uh, he could uh, take on uh, another dragon, and who knows who the third one could be. Um, that's just spe- that's wild, wild speculation, but y- you never know. So I, I, that was interesting. Um, now she flies off on uh, with Drogon. Why did why does she get on Drogon's back and fly away? You know she has been so committed to this cause, to her goals this season, and and for the past five seasons she's been so committed to every to wanting to reclaim Westeros and and be queen there. To all of a sudden fly away, just kind of get on the dragon and fly away. She seems to abandon everything she had. She's built. Is, is this just sort of the next step in her journey where she needs to step away and, and really think about why she's wanting to do this? I mean, Tyrion challenged her on this last episode. He said, you know, why do you want to be, why do you want to rule Westeros? Why not stay here and continue all the good work you're doing here? Where And in this episode, she climbs on the back of a dragon and just kind of flies away. Is this sort of now a time where she needs to reflect and under, truly understand why she's doing this? Because for so long, she's just kind of been doing this because she needs to do it. She's almost been doing a bit of, bit of the Stannis thing where she feels she's owed the throne and she's just going to go and take it. And- I, think it will, I think this will act as a catalyst to put Danny on the right path, mm. as you've put it have really a moment of reflection have her straighten out what, her priorities and and whatnot yeah yeah whether it's the iron throne or really whether it's against a true menace up in the north of the white walkers yes which of course i i don't believe danny is privy to that threat thus no. far but at the same time that threat other it, than john and stannis i guess yeah exactly and Really, that scene, the main reason she gets on the back, to be fair to her, is to escape that pit where the Sons of Harpies were trying to kill her. Mm-hmm. Um, and there were still quite a few about then that would have offered enough of a tangible threat. So I think that's one of the main reasons she got on his back to escape. Um, secondly, as well as in order to forge a bomb with her dragon. Um, and the fact that she's now riding it is some sort of acceptance of this true connection and and the bond between the mother and her dragons but as you said i think this idea of reflection will come as a result of this as i think that yeah you're right she's abandoned her cause in a way um she's abandoned her friends her fellowship Um, yeah what 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 did you make of the reasons for her flying well, I want to know the reasons for her flying away because it, it seemed uh, a bit out of character for her because she's always stuck with her people, with with those who support her and those she's trying to help. And so to get on the back of the dragon, yes, to escape that situation. Um, but, you know, just Drogon being there in general seemed to have helped the situation a great deal. And he could have just burned up a few more Sons of, sons of the Harpy and they... Tyrion and, and Danny and, and Dario and Jorah and, and Missandei, they could have all just ran out the other door uh, while he was doing that. It, it, it was a, 
to get on the dragon, I think it spoke uh, great volumes. I think this season has been very trying for her. You know, she's been forced to deal with this uprising that's been going on with the Sons of the Harpy. She has lost Jorah. She's lost Sir Barristan. She's, she's really lost so many of the people around her. She's been forced to sacrifice her, uh, some of her, her ideals, you know, bringing back the fighting pits. She's, you know, she's had this, uh, wedding or this marriage that was supposed to happen. It's not going to happen anymore to his Dar Zolarak purely for political purposes. And when, you know, she really had no affection for the man. And, you know, in, in, in this moment, I think it may have just kind of been like, she just needed to get out of there. She needed to escape. And I perhaps we'll, we'll see in the next episode, or perhaps we'll wait, have to wait until next season that she'll take some time away from, from all this to reflect on it, to straighten out her priorities, see what she really wants to do. And then she'll, uh, return to Marine or, or perhaps some people will go out looking for her. I mean, there's the promotional picture for the next episode. I don't think this is a spoiler um, with uh, with Tyrion, Jorah and, and Dario just kind of sitting on the on the steps that led up to her throne in, in Marine there. And they're just kind of almost sitting around going like, what do we do now? You know, everything we've just we've just uh, you know, we've been working towards or in Tyrion's case, you know, traveling to, to meet has just flown away on the back of a dragon. So it will be uh It'll be interesting to see how they uh, or where she goes and, and what she needs to figure out, um, because I, I wouldn't be surprised if she needs to figure out some stuff again, just based on what she's been through over the past season, season and a half or really her entire life. Uh, again, you know, everything she's done has been in service of going out and trying to reclaim the Iron Throne. And now she has to uh, stop and and think about why. And come back with purpose and with drive to do that. Does that make sense? Yeah. No, I, I actually agree with that. That's quite, that's quite a good theory that you have there. All right. I can't, I'm not going to add too much to that. <laughs> good. Yeah, I, I'm good. I, maybe, I, maybe I do have all the answers and after all. Well, not all the answers, but I'll give you this one. Right. One <laughs> to you. Yeah, I get, I get one. Well, is there anything else you want to uh, bring up about the episode? I think we covered it all pretty well, actually. Um, although there were a range of storylines, a lot of it similar to last episode, had a big chunk just focused on one particular element. So, mm-hmm. um, and we focus on that in enough depth, I think. So, yeah, yeah. it will. It'd be really interesting to see in this the Sunday's episode how they how they handle that because they have been doing that where like the first episode is spent on a couple of different stories and then the second half is all one story but there's so many things that need to not necessarily be resolved but more come to a head uh at the end of uh at the end of next week's episode that it'll be really interesting to see i mean there's are we finally going to see the battle of winterfell um there's clearly more to be done at the wall with uh with this whole letting the wildlings through wildlings through um and of course cersei in prison and then whatever uh jamie is doing in dorne there's still that and th- that almost makes me wonder if we won't see uh daenerys targaryen again until next season i i, I wouldn't be surprised if she's not in that episode I-, I i wouldn't be surprised if she is but i also wouldn't be surprised if she isn't uh Again, this again, you said it at the top. It's a, another huge episode. And uh, I think we're definitely in store for another great finale. So that will wrap things up for us for this week. Thank you, everybody, for listening. Before we go, there's just time for final thoughts and score out of 10. So for that, I'll throw it over to you, Karen. Final thoughts and score out of 10 on A Dance of Dragons. Big fan of this episode. It was hard to live up to the heights of last week's, but I think it did a a relatively good job, I have to say. A number of storylines which are really becoming intriguing. Arya's storyline now is becoming certainly a a fascinating one, um, particularly with the arrival of Mace Tyrell and Samara and Trent. And it's really going to be interesting to see 
how her story comes to a climax, particularly with regards to the faceless men. Is she going to follow down that path, or will she remain as Arya Stark? Hopefully that gets resolved soon. Obviously the one that everyone's been talking about, Stannis and the Shireen scene, that was brutal. It was graphic, it was horrific, but it was entertaining. And I have to say that Shireen's death is going to act as a catalyst for some end game down the road is it going to be leading to Stannis' downfall who knows but it's going to have an effect that's for sure particularly when you look at the preview for next episode um, and finally obviously the Daenerys stuff was absolutely fantastic great choreography in terms of the fighting for the pit I agree with you that some of the CGI and the practical effects could have improved a little bit a little bit jarring in some ways but I do think as well that it was about the characters and I loved the little interplay between Tyrion uh, Dario and Daenerys etc I thought that all worked <laughs> swimmingly well so I'm going to give that a eight and a half out of ten for this episode all right eight and a half out of ten from Kieran for me uh, I, I I did like this episode believe me I did it, it was uh, definitely one of my favorites for this season uh, again like you said it, it was impossible for it to, to live up to everything that we saw or everything that was built up last week in in hard home and it, it did its damnedest uh, but compared to that episode it did fall just a little bit short for me uh, but still uh, a really great episode you mentioned mentioned uh, all of the real all the great stories in here but again you know Stannis oh man it, it was it was telegraphed to us throughout the episode but I, I think a lot of us did not want to believe that it would happen and it did and I'll, I'll end I'll, I'll say it I said it at the beginning I'll have to say it again fuck you Stannis what what a horrible person for doing that. Um, and of course, the, the Arya storyline, as you said, is, fine, is really picking up and, and going in interesting directions. Uh, it's definitely one that I'm really looking forward to seeing how they wrap it up next week. Uh, of course, as you mentioned, uh, Daenerys' story, uh, brilliant, uh, some really good action stuff. Again, doesn't quite live up to what we saw in Hard Home, uh, but it would be it was damn near impossible for anything to lead up to live up to what we saw last week um and uh, and drogon looked great you know some of the cgi and and the practical didn't quite meld together um but but drogon in in the scenes uh, well the scenes where danny was on his back were a bit but uh when he was on his own man they had a real dragon on set that day i don't know how else they did it uh it, it looked really really great uh, and uh, of course, Jon Snow at the Wall. Really intrigued to see where it goes next week. See what happens. And come on, Ollie, turn around. Come back to the light. It's not too late. It's not too late. Just come back to the light, but not the Lord of Light. Don't go to him. He'll he'll burn you at the stake, or he'll have somebody do that for you, or for him. Uh, so for me, it will be a seven out of ten for this week for Dance of Dragons. All right, so that is truly it for us this week. Uh, Kieran, I'll, I'll throw it over to you. Is anything, is, is expression uh, wrapped up yet, or is, or have you still got another week or two of shows to go? Sadly, no. Aww. The season has wrapped up. We're hitting holidays now. Exam results have been released today, and that means that it's a signal for the end of term, and we won't be back now until mid-September, so we do have a long hiatus, sadly. But, nevertheless... Life still goes on, and I will be, as a result, engaging much more heavily in, of course, the Star Wars underworld. So, Dominic, I will let you disclose more on the Star Wars underworld front. But yeah. yes, Expression will be back in three months' time. Yeah, and another thing that will be back relatively soon will be our other podcast, The Clone Wars Strikes Back. Uh, well, we'll probably we'll let Game of Thrones run its course, I guess, and then. And Clone Wars Strikes Back will be back for the summer to, you know, keep the Clone Wars discussion going as we race towards the release of the Star Wars Episode 7, The Force Awakens. So you can find that by uh, just searching for the Clone Wars Strikes Back. More of, of Kieran and I talking about TV. What could be better? What could be better? And we've got some great episodes to talk about. So just search for Clone Wars Strikes Back on Facebook and Twitter and look up the Star Wars Underworld on iTunes. Speaking of the Star Wars Underworld, that's my other podcast, which I do with my friends Chris and Ben. We do the podcast every Thursday. 
uh, recorded live at 9 p.m. Eastern on channel 1138.com, and that's released on the iTunes feed the next day, along with the Clone Wars Strikes Back. That's right, you get two shows over there for the price of one, and that price is absolutely free. And Star Wars Underworld is great. We always talk, we're always talking about the latest breaking Star Wars news, of course, lots of interesting stuff about The Force Awakens. There's the big announcement of what we can expect at Comic-Con. Hopefully there'll be a Star Wars and, and Game of Thrones and Comic-Con, or at Comic-Con, both in Hall H. Maybe one right after another. That would be perfect for me. I could, I could go to go to Star Wars and then to, to Game of Thrones right after. I, if, 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 there, if, there, if that could happen, I would be extraordinarily happy, but I... I I have a feeling it won't work out that way. Uh, but yeah, so definitely check that out over on StarWarsUnderworld.com. I want to thank everybody for listening to this show. Uh, to never miss an episode, you can subscribe on iTunes. Just search for The Watchers of Westeros. Uh, uh, you can also uh, like us on Facebook. Again, Watchers of Westeros. And follow us on Twitter at WatcherWesteros. You can follow me pers- personally on Twitter at DominicJ25. You can follow Kieran at CDuggan6. Uh, and if you have time, we would love it if you would head over to iTunes and leave us a review, preferably a five-star one or a four-star one, maybe not a three-star one. And if it's less than that, why even bother? You don't need to write a review. If you don't like it that much, just just don't listen, <laughs> I guess. But, but you know, seriously, if you, if you have the time to write a review, we would, we would truly appreciate it. Anyways, we'll be back next week to talk about the finale, Mother's Mercy. It airs. 9 p.m. Eastern, or 9 p.m. just in general, on HBO in Canada and the U.S., and then the following Monday on Sky in the U.K. Uh, it's bound to be a huge episode. We'll be back to talk about it next week. So thank you, everybody, for listening. Uh, for the Watchers of Westeros, I'm Dominic. And I'm Karen. And I forgot to get a quote for this week. So we'll see you next week, everybody. <laughs> you know you know what? And until next time, remember, fuck you, Stannis. Fuck you. I got nothing. <laughs>